So welcome to Sport Talks with Sport Profs. I'm Prof Walls. I'm here with my co-host, Prof Joe, and of course, our entertainment and e-sport expert, Axel Lilmanis. And tonight as our spotlight speaker, we have Amrit Gill. And we're so excited to have her here with us this evening. She's a graduate from British Columbia Institute of Technology and has a diploma in technology broadcasting and media communications, broadcasting and online journalism. Social media and digital marketing certification from Harvard University is currently a reporter for Hockey Night Canada Punjabi edition and the first woman on Hockey Night in Canada's Punjabi edition in 2015. So we're very excited to have with us tonight. Her hometown is in Vancouver, British Columbia. And one thing that loves doing is telling sports stories and recognizing individuals whose trials and tribulations in hockey have been very vastly underrepresented. So welcome this evening, Amrit. Thank you so much for having me. What an intro. <laughs> this will be super fun. Very excited to take part. Well, this is wonderful for us. This is the second time really in two weeks that we've had you involved with Ryerson University now on Sport Talks last week in accountability revolution in sport media. So during the presentation last week, you mentioned how during lunchtime in school, you would go to the gym and record your floor hockey intramural games in practice. When did you discover your passion and your interest in storytelling and journalism in floor hockey intramurals? You know what, <laughs> this is a little bit of an odd start, but as a kid, in terms of how I discovered my uh, love for storytelling, I used to watch Oprah every single day as a kid. And the way she was able to talk about people's stories and the way she was able to interview guests, I would make sure my 4 p.m. slot after school, I was sitting at home in front of the television with my grandpa watching Oprah and then the news, and then we'd watch the game. So <laughs> growing up as a kid, um, having being surrounded by both of those things and then being able to get a television classroom to work from in high school, it just kind of naturally happened. And I was lucky that I was interested in both because they complement each other in a sense as well. So I think that's where the passion for storytelling began. After attending broadcasting school, how is it that you found your way into the industry and more specifically into hockey? Yeah, so I loved watching hockey as a kid. Growing up in a, a suburb of Vancouver where there were very few people of South Asian descent, I wasn't familiar with my culture. But at the same time, given that I did love the sport of hockey, there was a show called Hockey Night in Canada Punjabi that I just happened to tune in with uh, my grandmother back in the day um, as much as we could on Saturdays. So when I enrolled myself in um, broadcasting school, we'd have uh, individuals come in that are working in the industry and give us advice as to, you know, how to strategize and what type of values you need to have as a journalist and what uh, companies are looking for. And one of those individuals was Bupinder Handel, who happened to be um, on Hockey Night in Canada, Punjabi. And I did not know at the time it was being broadcasted out of Vancouver. So as a first year broadcast journalism student, you're technically just there to listen to the advice that's given, ask questions, familiarize yourself with the industry. And in your second year, you get the internship. But uh, when Bupinder came in with uh, all of these uh, industry leaders, I was like, no, I, I need to get in there now. <laughs> so I... Uh, 
made sure to follow up with him. I networked with him. And uh, lo and behold, in my first year of broadcasting school, I got an internship at Hockey Night. And it was just cool pressing a few buttons and being a fly on the wall. And uh, <laughs> from there, six years later, we're here now. <laughs> You talked about uh, with when we were chatting with you last week on accountability revolution about how representation matters. And with Punjabi being the fifth most common language in Canada, English, French, Cantonese, Mandarin, and the fact that hockey is enjoyed by uh, many Canadians. Why was it so important for you when you tuned in with your grandparents to watch hockey that you saw the show and heard the show in Punjabi? And what did that do for you as a fan? And I, I think also, if I'm not mistaken, you learned Punjabi later in life. It wasn't when you were born, you learned it a little bit later. You found some interest in it. As, and it, as I asked you earlier, could you please let me know how to pronounce your name and sort of the Canadian way is Amrit, but the Punjabi way is Amrit. So this is, uh, you, you said you're going back to your roots. Yeah, and it's for that very reason. It was, you know, not only a way to enjoy the sport, but it was a way to learn about my roots. Because as I mentioned, that connection to my culture, my heritage, my ancestors, it was lost. I, You could have considered me what you white adjacent almost because I did not want to be called Amrit. If somebody wrote Amber on the Starbucks cup, I'd be like, yes, that's my cup. <laughs> so I always shied away from my roots. And it was really that show that hooked me in, made me fall in love with the sport and the potential of it and helped create that bond that was missing in terms of, you know, being able to speak to my grandmother and connect with her on certain things. So it's been a very holistic journey in a sense, but when it comes to representation and why it matters, if it wasn't for the show, I would not be the person I am today. I would not be talking to people about diversity. I would not be telling other people's stories about you know heritage and authenticity. So for me, this show has come full circle in a sense. And I think that kind of taking this one step further with audiences in Canada being so diverse and having hockey, which is a sport that we've seen as, you know, our national sport. It is a sport that when the Olympics are on, we all get together. We celebrate hockey as a country, whether it's the gold or silver medal wins, preferably the gold but also for new Canadians and to be representative in our country in terms of what unites. That also I think is really critical because there's such a tremendous audience for the, the Punjabi edition. I understand as well is that we're gonna be seeing many more languages in hockey at Sportsnet, which is fantastic. And so tapping into using an opportunity to be able to reach different audiences by one fundamental way of communicating, which is through language. Mm -hmm. So why do you also see that as important by connecting with the community? Yeah, as you mentioned, uh, Molson and Sportsnet are teaming up to bring the game in various languages on April 24th, coming up soon. So it is so important because there is an incredible incredible opportunity there, not only from a business perspective, but from a growth perspective. Communication is one of the easiest ways to grow the game. And I think especially this year, 
about the racial reckoning that happened um, this past summer um, and that conversations about diversity and diverse storytelling being under a lens more than ever People want this type of content because if the pandemic has taught us anything, connection is so incredibly important. I think in terms of the growth of the game, this one is like a word here, but I think it's one of the most valuable things that you can um, use in terms of helping grow the game. Okay, so let's talk about the state of the game today, specifically hockey and here in present day. So what hockey is going through is really, what is hockey culture? Where does hockey stand within an equity, diverse and inclusive nature in our country? And let's just talk specifically about Canada. But also I would say that if we look at this across North America right now, it's not just what's happening in hockey on the ice, but it's also what's happening off. What do you think the state of hockey is in present day in terms of a diversity lens? I think it's getting better at a grassroots level. There's still a number of barriers in the way to, you know, get to where we want it to be. But from a diverse lens, I'm seeing improvement as a reporter from the grassroots level. But to look at it professionally, a lot of work still needs to be done. You know, for there not to be a league for girls that are up and coming um, where they can earn a decent amount as hockey players is, you know, it's almost like a slap in the face too. So not only from a diverse lens, but just to look at it from a gender equity perspective too. You know, there's still a lot of work to be done, but at a grassroots level, I think, you know, it's happening very slowly given the conversations that we're having today and we're prioritizing them. So slowly, but surely. So you talk about gender equity as well, and there's a, it's of interest for multiple reasons. One in terms of women playing the sport and then young women from a grassroots level coming in and saying, I want to participate, I want to play hockey because I can see myself playing hockey. I might be able to have a scholarship at the NCAA or the university level. I may be able to work in hockey. I may be able to play as a professional athlete in hockey. I mean, it's so complex, but right now from a standpoint of the women's game, let's talk about the women's game first and then the ability for women to work in hockey. Where do you see the women's game going and what do you think the future is? I personally hope that they're able to earn more than they are now. You know, it'll take a long time for that to be even at an equal standpoint in terms of how much the men earn. But where I want to see the game going is towards more equitable solutions. You know, I don't want a girl to enroll herself in hockey and then go through all of these different barriers, whether, you know, that being the only girl on the team or not being able to afford the equipment or having to play in another city because there's not enough players in her hometown. You know, so I'd like to see the game going towards a more equitable um, solution in a sense, but that requires a number of different stakeholders to have conversations. Do you see that happening in the very near future or do you think it's a couple of years away? I think it's a couple of years away, to be quite honest. I think we're seeing more progress from a um, broadcast standpoint, from a business standpoint. More women are being highlighted for their contributions when it comes to the game. But in terms of women being able to play professionally and not have to worry about their training or you know where their food's coming from or picking up a second job, I still feel like it's years away. But you know, you have to get those conversations going you have to get different stakeholders involved and this can't be an issue that you know just makes everybody frustrated once or twice a year 
this has to be a constant discussion. One of the things that we've learned from the conference that came very loud and clear is the idea that we have to celebrate the small wins. And clearly, as you just gave an example, that you have seen some changes in hockey. Of course, even in 2015, when you were the first female on the Punjabi edition for Hockey Night in Canada, that is a win. We have to celebrate those wins and then move forward and make sure that continues. And now we're seeing you more regularly on the show. And this is, you've seen that evolution to where we are today. So similar to what you're saying about the women's game is to be able to see some of those small wins. I wanna talk about those small wins in terms of women in the sport broadcasting, sport journalism side of things, not just in in the playing of the sport. And what would you say, and kind of going off here, but um, in terms of the notes, what would you say some small wins that you have seen in terms of change since you joined the industry? I think you are seeing more women involved from a broadcast perspective. To be quite honest, I still think there needs to be a lot of work done. You know, you have more people like Sarah Nurse being able to do a little bit of analysis, you know, for Sportsnet, which is amazing. So it's wonderful to see, you know, her, Kayla Gray. See, small wins are great, but it almost needs to be a mandate that needs to be prioritized, right? Why are there not enough women involved? Why are there not enough diverse women involved in the sport? If they are involved, why are we not giving them an opportunity to advance in whatever field they may choose from a broadcast perspective? Why are we not pushing for more diverse hires in a sense. So, you know, there's a bunch of small wins and it makes me really excited. And I think companies especially are now beginning to realize the worth there, but I think we still have a long way to go, to be quite honest. (laughs) In terms of celebrating the small wins and understanding organizations still have a lot of work to do, what kind of advice would you give young women coming into the industry that are realizing that these these are sort of small wins and a lot of work has to be done. However, what would you say to them in terms of some positivity and that women like yourself, as an example, are creating those small wins and those changes for them? What advice would you give when they're coming into the industry? Be an advocate for yourself. Don't rely on anybody else to give you that opportunity carve out one for yourself if you have to. And I think as women, sometimes we tend to undervalue ourselves or we don't want to ask for too much while we're at the table. We want to give somebody else that seat because some of this stuff has been internalized as to how we deal with things you know, in society or how our upbringing is. So I, the number one piece of advice would be be an advocate for yourself. Okay, I'm going to pass this over to Joe. He's got a number of questions related to racial diversity in sports. Joe? Picking up on that thread about representation, because I, I really believe that representation really matters. And if we don't see ourselves reflected anywhere, then it's actually hard to even see it and to believe that you can actually be it. So in your own career and coming up, and it doesn't have to be people that we might see and know on screen, But who have you looked to in terms of, you know, in your broadcasting career, it's in terms of representation that can help you and that can help, you know, marginalized communities and racialized communities and women and in the sports media industry, because it's an industry not known for diversity and inclusion. Have you been able to find some kind of mentorship and representation somewhere, even if it's not so much in front? What about behind the scenes? 
Yeah, I know. I'm so lucky to have a very supportive uh, casting crew at Hockey Night in Canada, Punjabi. And the majority of them are men, and we have one other woman working um, behind the scenes. But they are just incredible to work with. They're super supportive, and they have helped me navigate my career and have encouraged me to stand up for myself when there is any type of injustice and learn to strategize and you know ask for more which women sometimes tend not to do so growing up to be quite honest there are very few people that you could look up to as a woman of color in sports broadcasting of course i have the utmost respect for the women who take on such a role because there's a lot of baggage that can come with it but as as a woman of color there wasn't really anybody to relate to growing up so i kind of had to lean in on my um, colleagues or you know people i felt comfortable talking to or my peers type of thing so i've been lucky to have that wonderful supportive circle around me but again like i mentioned there needs to be more work done in terms of getting more diverse voices on air so other girls other women can feel comfortable pursuing this career path We've been talking also a lot about accountability and Laurel and her team headed up this uh, accountability revolution conference last week. So what does accountability mean to you? Like, how do we apply that in a sport like hockey and in sport media? Accountability for me is almost a social responsibility that every one of us has to have to make it better for the next in line, make it better for the minorities, make it better for people that have not had the opportunity historically. Accountability to me looks like owning up to your mistakes, saying, okay, we went the wrong way for too many decades, but we're willing to make it better and make environments more inclusive. Accountability to me looks like a willingness to learn. And when all of that combines together, you know, it only makes the room bigger. So that's what accountability means to me. And we've also been talking a lot about the importance of mentorship and allyship. Sometimes I don't think that's talked about enough in terms of when we do talk about diversity and inclusion, especially in things like sports and sport media. And, you know, and I'm always saying this, that it's everybody's issue. It's not just these people's issues or these, it's everybody's to take it up. How would you counsel people to be better allies and to be better mentors in a changing industry like sports media? I think, you know, it comes to having a willingness to learn, a willingness to listen and to educate yourself. And I'll use myself as an example here. You know, I'm South Asian. Yes, I'm diverse. If I were to just learn about my own culture, that wouldn't make me an ally necessarily. I still have to go out of the way to learn about other people, learn about, okay, what barriers are in the way for you and how can I help you to, you know, achieve your goals? You know, how can I make it better for the next person in line? And I think being an ally starts with a willingness to listen and a willingness to educate yourself on these issues. And reading some research on you for this, um, I saw a thing about the Billie Jean King quote about where Billie Jean King was saying, I don't just want the crumbs, I want the whole cake. Can you elaborate on that a little bit more in terms of how you see like in your own career and, and not just being satisfied with crumbs, you want the whole cake. So what does that mean? 
such a bold quote. Hey, we love it. And then uh, to me, it means going out there and getting everything that you have worked hard for and deserve and not feeling bad about it, not just taking a back seat. We need more women in leadership positions. We need more women to be able to talk about issues that matter. And we need more women to become role models in their you know, respective career paths. And for me, that quote is so special in a sense, because you know, not only is it bold, but it's coming from a woman who has historically done so much for females all across the board. And for the LGBT community, and anyone like Billie Jean King on down who's been in the spotlight has also had to probably face online bullying and trolling. And from the research I've seen too, is that you have as well. And almost anyone who's in the public eye has had to deal with it. It can be pretty nasty, but how do you stay positive around stuff like that? And in some ways, that's one of the things where I would say, I'm glad I'm behind the scenes because people on air and anyone famous seems to be a target. And women particularly in the sports field. And now add in that you're also a woman of color. Sometimes it's really hard, Joe, to be quite honest. It is really hard because already there's so many uh, barriers in the way as a woman to get where you are. And sometimes you question yourself as to what I'm doing, is it going to be feasible down the line? Do I have a viable career ahead of me? You know, you question yourself constantly on a bunch of other things. And then when you add in the online trolling, it just makes it all the more difficult to keep continuing and to try to have a prosperous career but how to deal with it honestly sometimes it's okay to have a good cry sometimes it's okay to you know just let your feelings out but most importantly seek help mental health is such a important issue the utmost holds the utmost of importance. So for me, I lean in on my colleagues, I lean in on my friends, but if you need to get help, get help and don't feel bad about it and reach out to others, you know, as well, because you don't know what somebody is going through. The thing about the social media and bullying and online, almost everyone I know that has been on, on air or in the public eye has been victimized by that at some point, isn't that? And I still wonder sometimes how people can, you know, have a thick skin about it. I think in some ways it can almost relate in teaching when we get course evaluations and it, it's anonymous and some student might not like you or whatever it's not. Things like that used to kill me. And now it's like, oh. uh, you get used to it after a while. It's just like, oh, well, there's always one person. There's always, because the real, reality is we're never going to please everyone. We have to be true to ourselves first and foremost, right? Yeah, and it's so hard to develop that thick skin, you know, when you have been bruised a couple of times, you're like, geez, you know, how do I get through this? But at the same time, you have to find your why, your purpose, and you have to look towards that to help you get through it. But again, mental health is so important. Seek help if you need it. Can you just walk me through and tell me a little bit about some of the, the positive stories that you've been able to tell and cover, you know, maybe specifically in racialized communities or, or maybe not just, but the ones that speak the most to you, what to, as a broadcaster, the stories that you, you love telling the most? Yeah, you know, I just love telling stories about everyday people and the trials and tribulations that they have faced throughout, you know, their sports careers, you know, it may not have been an illustrious career, but they still went through something and, you know, they showed resilience. And I've been lucky to tell quite a couple of stories about the um, unsung heroes who helped open doors for people of color, especially in the hockey world. And 
One of those uh, individuals was uh, Jorah Thummi, probably one of the best junior hockey players in the 80s and 90s in Canada. Not many people know about him, but his career was cut short. Um, nonetheless, you know, he still persisted uh, despite, you know, the racism and the adversities that he faced. So, you know, being able to tell his story and saying, hey, what you did mattered and it meant something was really special for me because again representation matters right just because you're not a superstar doesn't mean your story isn't important doesn't mean it doesn't hold some weight another story is um covering the uh, team india girls trip to canada when they were taking part in uh, Haley wickenheiser's wickfest hockey tournament these girls came from uh, ladakh india where they had to make their own ice to practice if the weather is too hot on a particular day there's no practice <laughs> you know, they had to borrow their brother's skates to learn to play hockey. You know, they could have probably gotten an injury or two from that. But nonetheless, they loved the game for what it was and how it brought their community together. And, you know, when they came to Canada, I always tell everybody, like, watching them develop their skills with the love and guidance that they received and proper resources. It was like a night and day difference between, you know, the two weeks they were able to spend here. You know, they were able to have a cool cycling game at the end of it. The girls were getting more gold, you know, at the end of that two week stretch, they felt comfortable skating. You know, they were given sticks, they were given jerseys, they had a change room. Like that's so important from like the dignity side of things, right? It's already hard to pursue sports, you know, as a woman, but where they came from, the supports were just not there, but they were just doing it for the love of the game. And yeah, just being able to cover that story, I was just in tears by the end of it, <laughs> to be quite honest, behind the scenes, just seeing them all cry when their time in Canada was up and they had to go back home. They were just so thankful. I remember that change room. Everybody was just bawling. They didn't want to go back. But at the same time, it was like a big family was created within that, you know, two week stretch. It was the most Canadian experience, for sure. <laughs> now, you know, you've been in the broadcast business now for a few years. And how would you surmise like the attitudinal change that's going on in sports media? Do you see advancement in terms of being much more, oh, the the, uh, the people that you have to sell the stories to and that we have to convince that this is a great person to profile or this is a, it's a great story to tell. How much more welcoming are they into these ideas? Or do we think that there's still ways to go? Yeah, you know, I'm so lucky to work for a company that is prioritizing uh, diversity and prioritizing diverse storytelling. And from when I started to now, it's amazing, you know, how much more comfortable you feel now pitching these types of stories, you know, because I think from my own experiences, people are seeing the value and talking about the adversities of people that aren't just superstars. We're all, you know, craving a sense of connection. And sometimes the most relatable thing is being able to highlight individuals that are doing great things but haven't necessarily gotten the credit and i think employers now especially the industry is now seeing the value in that so i am very hopeful i think we are headed in the right direction slowly but surely but at the same time we still have a lot of internalized behaviors that we need to unravel i wanted to ask you about your schooling at bcit um, what did you find were the most helpful courses 
or assignments that you did to help you into your career? You know, as a journalist, you can learn the skill set. That's what school is for. But those courses where you're able to have a little bit more control over the projects that you do, whether it be um, documentaries or like a photography class where you're able to, okay, find out creatively what works best for me. What are my strengths? What do I need to work on? I thought those are very helpful because I was able to hone in on my strengths, but at the same time understand, okay, what do I need to work on? You know, you can teach somebody how to write. You can teach somebody how to enunciate. But in terms of creativity, you know, they need a little bit of freedom, you know, to explore their strengths and explore their weaknesses. So courses like photojournalism, loved it. I was great. Video journalism, loved it as well. When we were able to make our own documentary, I was like, really? <laughs> I get to do that. Cool. And you learn a lot about yourself. We see it with our students over four years. I always say like every year you're kind of giving a little bit more leash or giving a little bit more autonomy because that's how you grow and you develop. If you're just sort of nailed down all the time with strict assignments, then you're going to just your audience of the teacher. Right? as opposed to exploring mm -hmm. and investigating your own creativity, because you're right, that's something that's hard. You can't teach somebody creativity. It's what you do is you allow that to flourish. And I think more than ever, organizations are looking for journalists that have that niche, that have that little something different that the industry doesn't necessarily have yet, but really needs. And I think that, again, goes to having autonomy, having that space to own, learning about yourself and learning about your strengths. I'm going to pass it over to Axel now because he's going to talk a little bit more about current and some future projects. Hi, Amrit. Um, it's been an amazing conversation so far and really want to kind of get a little bit more of a sense on you know, sort of what you've garnered to date and what you can share with uh, the students that are listening today. You are clearly establishing yourself as a journalist and a, and a broadcasting professional. You've got a really unique perspective of sports in general. Has there been one particular lesson that you reflect on often to this point from a career perspective? I still ask myself, why didn't I advocate for myself early on as much as I should have? And if I did, where would I be now? Not only in terms of skill set, but my ability to do various stories within the organization. So, you know, that's a lesson I'm still learning. As a woman, again, a lot of these behaviors have been internalized, but I'm taking the time to unravel them. Um, I'm also learning to you know, not only be an advocate, but, you know, educate those around me and be okay saying, hey, no, this is wrong. Let's maybe add another perspective to it, you know, to broaden the scope of what we're doing and having an extra seat at the table, having two extra seats at the table, you know, doesn't mean you're going to lose yours. Again, I said, it makes the room bigger and all those opportunities, all those, you know, thoughts that we can bring in, it'll only cultivate, you know, a better product from a broadcast perspective. So being an advocate for myself and just, you know, speaking up where I feel like something is wrong or unjust and encouraging people to bring their opportunities, you know, to the table more. So I, I wish, you know, early on, I did a little bit more of that, but you know, you have to find your why, you have to find your sense of purpose and you have to learn to own it. And sometimes it does take time. Speaking specifically to students, I'm thinking about pursuing a career in sports journalism, what advice would you have to give them beyond uh, what you've shared so far? 
network and strategize. You know, I think as journalists, you know, we all kind of wear our heart on our sleeve type of thing, and we often forget about the importance of strategizing from a career perspective. You know, plan out as much as you can, but don't zero in on just having a certain position at the end of the day. You know, figure out what do I need to learn as a journalist, whether it that be more, you know, financial literacy, whether that be more of an understanding about how corporations need to work. You know, journalism we do it because we love it. But my number one advice that I have for young journalists, given that the industry is so competitive and now you have all these, you know, social channels in the mix too, is. Educate yourself on the things happening across the table. Learn the language of employers as well and what they're looking for, because that will help you at the end of the day and will help your career. And I mentioned it several times in this interview, but develop a niche. You know, everybody wants something a little bit different, a void that hasn't been built. Carve out your own path. So, yeah, I would definitely recommend that you know be an advocate for yourself. Learn the language that's being spoken across. The table and develop your niche. <laughs> that makes a ton of sense. We've had guests on the call talk a lot about exposing yourself to as much as possible during your schooling.、Uh, thanks、mm-hmm. for sort of continuing the equation there. Speaking of continuing、uh, equations, you seem to be a person driven by purpose. Where do you see your passion taking you into the future? Yeah, I'd love to continue storytelling, but I, you know, on a larger scale, would be really nice. Right now, I'm able to do it on Hockey Night in Canada, Punjabi, and I'm able to turn my packs into、uh, English packs, which is wonderful. But I think there is a need for diverse storytelling through a diverse lens, and you know, I'd like to do more features down the road, more documentaries, things of that sort. As a kid, I was always about the box. Score and then you know as you find your purpose and your why and you learn about empathy and you learn about storytelling you find your passion and you find your why so it'd be great to work on more features down the road. Amazing. I think we're going to turn things over to Laurel. Laurel's going to take us to a fun segment of our conversation,、uh, our rapid fire. Laurel. Called rapid fire. We're going to change it up tonight. So I'm going to ask you a series of questions, and you are to give a one-word answer. Whatever comes to you naturally is the answer that we would like、oh. you to give. Oh. <laughs> we would like you to give that one-word answer in Punjabi. Oh, oh, geez. Okay. Wow. <laughs> Y'all are really testing me today. <laughs> yeah, I love so, it. And then also. Um, if you could please translate for us, that would be wonderful. Okay. Hopefully, I don't have to open、okay. up Google Translate. <laughs> okay. <laughs> okay. Well, we'll do our best together here. On International Women's Day, you asked your Instagram audience to nominate women who have made the game of hockey better. Now is your chance. Which hero, unsung perhaps, deserves a shout out for contributing to inclusivity in hockey and sports in general? Nathan Sakon. Can I can I give you some context? <laughs> Please. He's、uh, my producer at Hockey Night in Canada, Punjabi. He's a dad of three young girls, and not only that, he's also a supervising producer at Omni. And he has always pushed for women to be in leadership positions. He's always there for them. He listens. He has, you know, a willingness to learn about these issues, and he prioritizes them. And oh man, I could not have a better boss. So Nathan Sakon is my unsung hero. <laughs> 
Next one, first answer in Punjabi. As a producer and sports reporter, what important sports stories has yet to been told? Hmm. These questions are almost not fair. We apologize because these these require a sentence or two. So please go ahead. You can answer in more than one word. In Punjabi, because my brain switching. Um, so stories about racism. What's the one word that best describes your first night in front of the camera on Hockey Night in Canada, Punjabi edition? Kush. Happy. <laughs> you mentioned your grandmother is a really big hockey fan. What team is she currently cheering for right now? Canucks. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know how to say that in Punjabi. Does she have a favorite hockey player? Um, Pavel Bure back in the day. Oh, one word. <laughs> I'm so bad at but this. <laughs> <laughs> what is your prediction for this year's Stanley Cup champion? Colorado. <laughs> your favorite moment for women in sports over the past 12 years? Olympics. <laughs> we love the nail cam. What else has your growing fan base asked from at Omrit G? Oh man, karaoke. <laughs> Lip syncing. <laughs> Besides yourself, who is one person we should be following on social media right now? Beyonce. Do you play hockey? No. Your favorite sport? Hockey. Your favorite sport to play? Track. Ah, can you mm -hmm. be more specific? 100 meters. 100 meters? Yeah. <laughs> My parents, you know, they really couldn't afford to put me in sports at an early age so I'd always join the school clubs and the one thing I just loved doing as a kid was track and field. I'm really tall so <laughs> everybody used to call me daddy long legs in elementary school and I hated it with the passion but when track season came around I knew I was winning that 100 meter dash and you know that carried forth that to high school as well. <laughs> Did you have a, a favorite Olympian athlete that ran the 100 meter? Um, Allison Felix. I, I just love her as an athlete. She's a mom now. Okay. <laughs> which is so cool. If you could be on any sport broadcast moving forward, which one would that be? Sports net. <laughs> I gotta go with the uh, in-house broadcast. Better up my team. <laughs> So thank you, thank you Amrit Gill for enjoying the uh, with us the rapid fire. And as normally this would be done by a colleague of ours, Coach Berlin, he usually says, I think that's a wrap. <laughs> so oh, we'd I'm... like to thank you so much for being on Sport Talks so with Sport Profs this evening and uh, sharing with us your perspective and also all the work that you do advocacy in terms of gender equity and inclusion in general. We are inspired by you. We're really grateful that we have also had an opportunity to, to work with you with our students in the Accountability Revolution Conference last week. I know I can speak on behalf of Joe, Prof Joe and Axel Lilmenis and myself that we really enjoyed this evening. Thank you for joining us on Sport Talks with Sport Profs. I'm Prof Walls and again, our spotlight speaker tonight, Amrit Gill, thank you. Thank you. Thanks, Thanks so much, everybody. Really appreciated it. Have a good evening.